Today on The Midweek Move, we're talking about dangerous prophetic warnings and what to do when somebody else's word contradicts what God's put in your own heart. Hello and welcome to The Midweek Move. I'm Dallas. I'm so glad you guys have hit play on this uh, podcast today. Whether this is an Apple podcast, Google podcast, Facebook, or YouTube. Hey, thank you for being part of what's going on here at The Healing Place through The Midweek Move. If you're new, we're the podcast that takes a look at the scriptures line by line, verse by verse, and ask yourself, what does it mean? What does it mean in context? What does it mean to us personally today? And how can we actively walk it out on a regular basis? And we've had a variety of guests with us over the 21 weeks. That's right, guys. We're on episode 21, Acts 21. And um, I'm really excited about today because today we have a, a good friend of mine. He's the, the associate pastor, youth pastor at New Life Assembly in Woodstock. I'm going to let you decide which Woodstock you want that to be. And he's a good buddy of mine, someone that has uh, been there for me in, in some some great times of need. And I really appreciate him. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Paul Turner. Paul, how are you doing, bud? Good, buddy. How are you? I'm doing well. I am super excited to have you on with us. Paul, real quick, just tell everybody who you are. Well, I'm Paul Turner, and uh, I have a uh, been a youth pastor for a little over 30 years. This is kind of my uh, my second act, if you will. I was a youth pastor for 30 years, took some time off, and recently just got back into it. And uh, and then for the past few years, I've been coaching youth workers and uh, doing work through uh, a project I have called the Disciple Project, and uh, and helping youth workers make better disciples in their youth ministries. Awesome, I love your heart and I love what you do. But what I also love is that you are very biblically minded and that you allow the scriptures to transform you and and really adjust your mindset to things around you. And um, that's what this is all about. This this podcast that we're doing. It's not just to just to throw it out there. It's not for us to sound like we're all you know super spiritually, theologically superior to other people is to go, hey, what's the word saying and how does it affect us? And we love hearing from people uh, about how it's affected them. And real quick, before we jump into Acts 21, I want to read something for, for you guys. We had a uh, somebody write in to our email, mediahub at thpsreport.com, about how God had used that episode for them. And now they had they just finished watching episode 19, Acts 19. And uh, they said, this one hit me just a little differently as all the best things tend to do, specifically the bits about being sensitive about doing only as the spirit permits and proximity. Now, this is a really great conversation. I really want to encourage you guys to make sure you go check out that episode that Pastor Scott had um, because it was really a very interesting episode. But uh, this person continues writing. I made it my prayer yesterday morning after listening to the show to draw me close into proximity to Jesus and make me sensitive to the will of the Spirit that he would move through me and with me. Well, lo and behold, come Wednesday night, and when I lead youth group at my church, the Spirit came knocking. I was in the middle of a talk about uh, that I prepared uh, for, and he and my blanked he goes, and he blanked my mind completely. I was stammering and couldn't finish my thought. And all I could think was, he wants you to talk about outreach. Just stop and shift. So literally in the middle of my talk, I said, hey, look, I'm sorry. I'm not prepared for this, but I feel like the spirit is leading me to talk about outreach. And I let the spirit give me the words to say, and I went with it. You ever had those moments, Paul? <laughs> oh yeah absolutely they're uh, scary so, uh, they are scary man and he continues on saying scary basically, you're like, 
Huh? No, I was going to say it's scary because you don't know what the Lord's going to say. I mean, you, you, maybe you do, but if he's going to, exactly. you know, where he just said, hey, toss that to the side and do this. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. He continues on by saying, basically on the spot, I announced that we were uh, going on into a series about outreach with a big focus on reaching their friends and testifying. Now, having done youth ministry off and on for nearly 20 years, it has been my experience that when I start to focus on outreach, it is fairly groaned, up on, groaned about by the youth. Last night, to my surprise, they went. They were pretty jazzed about it. So God is doing something up here. Not entirely certain what but I am excited to be part of it. And the reason why I am part of it is because I was determined to be in close proximity to Jesus and sensitive to and willing to do as the spirit leads rather than holding on to my own program. So cool. So cool. So have, have you ever had those kinds of experiences where God's just wrecked your youth services, Paul? Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. It's, um, it's a, it's a, it's a thrilling, it's a thrilling experience. Right. Uh, but it's such a, um, you know, you don't know where this is going to go. You feel like you're, you're, you know, you want to be on target, right? You want to feel like you're saying what the Lord's saying. Right. Um, and, you know, you just got to, you got to go with it. You don't really have um, an idea of where the outcome is. You just have to, you just have to be faithful and be obedient to, to share it and, uh, and, and see what happens after that. Absolutely. What I love about this this testimony, it really does lead into the, what we're talking about today because here we see Paul, and he's making a shift. He was on a mission. He was doing what he's supposed to do, and God's called him to make a shift to do something entirely different than what he thought he was going to do and going into a really dangerous situation. So um, let's discover what that is together. We're going to be in Acts 21, starting in verse 1. It says this, Now it came to pass that when we had departed from them and set sail running a straight course, we came to Kos in uh, the following day to Rhodes, and from there to Patara. <coughs> Excuse me. In finding a ship sailing over to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail. When we had sighted Cyprus, we passed it on the left and sailed to Syria and landed in Tyre. For the for there, the ship was to unload her cargo. In finding disciples, we stayed there seven days. They told Paul, though the uh, through the Spirit, not to go up to Jerusalem. All right, Paul, what's happening here in this passage? Well, first I'd point out that Luke is an, just a great historian. I mean, he's quite detailed, right? In 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 everything that he is saying, um, you know, he, he's talking about the you know where the ships are going, where everything is. He's and he's writing this, you know. Uh, for his friend, right. you know, he's, 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 he's writing this as a, as an account, as he says in chapter one. Right. Uh, and, uh, he, he, and he's very detailed, which I, which I love because, uh, because I think it gives it, you know, I think we, we tend to go over these details mm. and, uh, and because he cared for his friend Theolophus, uh, he gave the, the real details that you would give to somebody if you were writing this to, to share with somebody. He doesn't, um, scuff over, you know, like where they're going to drop their cargo. Right. You know, it's a detail. <laughs> right. Uh, that Luke, that Luke is, is, you know, uh, uh, shares that. And, um, and so I think where, uh, where Paul is in this, he is, um, he's going on this journey and, uh, 
he the first uh, you know the first folks that um, that he finds there. He, you know, I, in my study of this, he says and finding disciples. You know that there may have may or may not have been an organized uh, church there necessarily. They they right. they were, they were kind of you know around. You know they they and you know they he sort of found them. Yeah. Uh, you know whether you know whether that's through connections or other things, but there wasn't necessarily he wasn't going to a organized group meeting per se. Mm-hmm. And the fact that uh, they told Paul uh, through the Spirit not to go up to Jerusalem, and how I read that in just a little bit of research and uh, and commentary, you know that sometimes when we say something, we say and we talk a little bit of this before we we hit record is the fact that listen, they're telling Paul. Don't go to Jerusalem. Right. But that's not because necessarily the Spirit was telling them to tell Paul, mm-hmm. don't go to Jerusalem. They were, uh, you know, how I understand is that they are, that it's revealed to them of what's going to happen to Paul in Jerusalem. Right. And they're like, oh no, <laughs> don't go to Jerusalem. That's a that's a bad place. Right. Don't that's, go it's there. Their, it's their friend. It's somebody they care about. They don't want to see some harm come to them. Absolutely. And and the spirit revealed to them what what's going to happen. That's supernatural to have that take place. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and, and, I, and it's I, hard you know, to. It's, I, it must, I, it must, I, well, I was just going to say it must have been. We're it both excited. Yeah. Well, it's hard for them. I think it's just hard for them to imagine him going there and going yeah. through what the spirit showed them that he was going to have to go through. Absolutely. I mean, I know for me, like if I were to receive a prophetic word about somebody I love and care about and they're about to go into something dangerous, I'd be like, hey, look, <laughs> I, in the flesh, I don't want you to go there. But that's the thing about Paul, though, is Paul, he had a different, he had a very specific word. He knew what he was walking into. This acted as confirmation mm-hmm. for him. It was like, hey, you're, you're, you heard from the Lord. And he has to trust the second half of that word that God gave him of keep going regardless which I think is it's it's an interesting challenge. How do you how do you separate that for yourself, Paul? When you know that the God's given you something and people are giving you something, uh, maybe an additional to it. How do you find the determination of going? I still need to keep going, even though maybe this doesn't sound good for everything that uh, people are saying. Well, yeah, and I think you have to remember the encounter that Paul had with Jesus, as compared to other encounters that 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 post facto kind of experience that others have had who accepted Christ later, that, that Paul's account is, is, you know, wasn't firsthand in the sense of while Christ was upon the earth, but he had this encounter that was, that was beyond measure. That was, that was like no other encounter anybody had ever had. So, so the mission he was on uh, was deeply embedded into his heart. It's not like you could warn somebody off you know, he right. knows, he knows in his knower, you know, where, where he is to wind up regardless of the warnings. I mean, then they, that means the same thing they did with Jesus. I mean, Jesus don't go there. Jesus, yeah. they're going to do this. Jesus, mm. and Jesus is like, well, I'm on mission. I, there's no way I can't not go there. Right. And in fact, Absolutely. you know, remember when the, when he was going back to heal Lazarus, the disciples were like, well, let us go and die with him. <laughs> and, uh, you know, they had this, they had this similar kind of, uh, you know, vibe going on where the, wherever Jesus was going, he was on mission. He was going to go regardless of the danger that was there. And I, I, you know, Paul has this very much same mission in mind, uh, which is, uh, which he very much goes into chapter 22, uh, where he addresses the crowds, uh, of why he's here and what he's, what he's here to do. Yeah, absolutely. Good stuff. 
All right, let's continue on. Verse 5. When he had come to the end of those days, he departed and went on our way. And we, oh, sorry, and went on our way. And they all accompanied us. Again, us, plural, the plurality of this. Luke is here with him. <laughs> he is walking out with him. With wives and children till we were out of the city. And we knelt down out on the shore and prayed. When we had taken our leave of one another, we boarded the ship and they returned home. And when we had finished our voyage from Tyre, we came to... Ptolemaeus, we'll go with that, uh, greeted the brethren and stayed with them one day. On the next day, we who were uh, Paul's comp- uh, companions departed and came to Caesarea and entered the house of Philip, the evangelist, who was one of the seven and stayed with him. All right. We have returned to a character we have not seen since the beginning of the book of Acts, and I'm excited because sometimes we look at some of these stories and we go, well, that's a one-off. You know, what happened to this person? This is the Philip from Acts chapter 8 who uh, was a, um, he was an elder and he, uh, well, he did some teleportation, <laughs> if you will. Uh, he went right. and he, he ministered to the Ethiopian and all of a sudden he found himself in Caesarea. Um, what are your thoughts on this, man? Well, I, you know, and, and as you know, Philip was one of the, you know, and I like the fact, I think it says it in verse, uh, uh, well, it says it there. It says that he's one of the seven, mm-hmm. uh, one of the seven, which, uh, you know, makes for a good message if you want to preach the magnificent <laughs> seven. Uh, that the seven being the seven servants uh, who were, uh, you know, in Acts chapter six, three says men filled with the spirit and wisdom. And so when, when, you know, he is a part of that group, which also included Stephen, who was then martyred, mm-hmm. you know, we're in charge, we're put in charge of helping and serving the widows and right. doing a lot of administrative work, mm-hmm. uh, you know, to be able to help out there so that the apostles could go out and pay attention to the preaching of the word. And it was not beneath them to serve widows and, and orphans and other people. They just said, look, we have to go. If we don't go empowered the way we're empowered from Acts chapter two, if we don't go with mm-hmm. that, you know, uh, you know, this, uh, something's going to be lost. We have to be able to right. do that. So we have to be entrust the administrative things to uh, some folks that have wisdom and have the spirit and Philip right. being one of those being one of those people. Uh, who then, you know, went on later then to to evangelize. Yeah. And what I love about this is that he's still on mission. Like this is this is this is years later. Like this isn't like, you know, Acts chapter eight happened yesterday and this is the next day. Like this is this is years later. He's still faithfully serving to this day as an elder in the church, taking care of what's going on. And I think this is a a testimony to uh faithfulness in the church. And so and then what we see here is is something even interesting or more interesting? Yes, yeah, word. Verse 9. Now this man had four virgin daughters who prophesied. And as we stayed many days for a certain prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. When he came to us, he took Paul's belt, bound his own hands and feet, and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, so shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. So a couple of interesting things here. One is that uh, Luke is taking care to make sure to mention the fact that the daughters of Philip, which um, there's some conversations about why, what's the point of mentioning their virgins? Probably just the fact that they were just real young ladies. Um, 
that they prophesied. These are young people, young ladies, that are they're operating in the gifts of the Spirit. And we don't have anything saying that, you know, um, you know what they prophesied specifically. They, they didn't prophesy to Paul here in this passage, but I do find it encouraging. If these are young ladies, possibly teenagers, then how awesome is it that we have a record of young people who operate in the Spirit? I feel like sometimes we have this mindset in the church that the only people who can properly operate in the, in the Spirit are adults, are old folks. <laughs> but here we see... Right. What could be young ladies operating in that on what it seems to be on a regular basis? The way that Luke was making sure to point out the fact that these are young people who operate in the gifts of the spirits, right? And the fact that Philip, you know, uh, you know, we we see kind of sometimes we see the disciples or apostles as as people or as these kind of rogue individuals that don't have families that don't have they're just out there going wild, you know, just preaching the right. word everywhere. And yet we see a, a family man who's raising kids and has passed right. along his faith to his daughters. Right. And, yeah. uh, and they all have the gift of, of, you know, prophesying. And, right. uh, and like you said, it's a, it's a, uh, an important note that, uh, that, you know, there are some churches that do not allow women to, uh, voice, uh, their yeah. things, uh, that whatever the Lord may put on their heart, and uh, and in this case, we see that these these uh, these young ladies uh, are given a voice that God gives them a voice, right? And they use that voice, yes. and I think that's important that we that we note that that God is once again no respecter of persons, right? Right? There's neither male nor female nor Greek nor Jew. That's it. All of that. That, that the mentality is that listen that the spirit you know is for everybody. Acts chapter two says, right? My spirit will fall on your children and your children's children. Right. And so what yeah. we see is not only did the spirit fall on Philip, but it fell on his kids. Right. His whole house. And that's encouraging. And I want to encourage those of you who are watching at home or listening in your car. If you have kids, be praying for your kids. Be, be an example to your kids. These girls saw their father and possibly their mother operate in the spirit, operate in, in faith and in kindness, expressing the, the fruit of the spirit to other people. And they saw their family doing that, and they said, we're going to operate in two. Live your faith out loud in front of your kids, and you just might see some amazing miracles take place in your household. So that's the soapbox for me. Yeah, you're <laughs> right, right, right. That's the that's the whole deal of, of living out your faith is that even when it's unbelievably hard and you think your kids aren't paying attention, your kids are paying attention. They're right. always paying attention. They're taking in these little bits of information, right. uh, you know, uh, and and by the way, too, that the, that these are uh, uh, preachers' kids uh, <laughs> that uh, have the gift. So I want to point. You know, we should point that out. Uh, I being uh, a father of a daughter and two sons, right? Uh, who you know uh, want to see them, you know, uh, grow up in the faith and see them, uh, you know, live that life as well. And and you know, I, I can only live. I have to live out of my values and live out of what I know. Uh, Christ has done in my heart, and hopefully they have picked up on all the good things <laughs> as well as all the the uh, shenanigans of my life. Right. Well, see, I think that's the thing is like I think a lot of parents they, they're they're scared about what their kids pick up, and they almost have that do as I say, not as I do. But if they see you repent, if they see you own up to your mistakes, they go, "I can do that too. I can live that out also, just like my parents did." And so there's a balance, it's not just showing your kids the good stuff. I'm sure Philip showed his kids. All the great stuffs, but 
they probably saw his his low points also. And so I think sure. that there's a balance to all that. Um, kind of back to the text, though, because we see something interesting take place, and that is a, a really interesting um, prophetic act out take place. Uh, verse 11 again, um, with the, the prophet Agabus. Uh, he comes to, yeah. and uh, he takes uh, Paul's belt, and he binds his own hands and feet, and says, uh, thus is the Holy Spirit, this uh, so shall the, uh, the Jews of Jerusalem bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. Now, this is now the second time in maybe a week. The running, the running theme. Right. That <laughs> They're going, hey, Paul, it's going to get wild here in a little bit. This may not be a good thing yeah. for you. And I, once again, we have people responding out of good faith and out of love for Paul. Verse 12. Um, now, when, verse 12, yeah, verse 12. Now, when we heard these things, both we and those from the, uh, that place pleaded with him not to go to Jerusalem. I find it interesting that Luke's now going, I really don't think this is a good idea. <laughs> Luke's now jumping into the bite. Like beforehand, we just have a record of, hey, they warned him. But there's no record of, of, of going, maybe you don't need to do this. Now they are. And what I love is Paul's um, response to this. Verse 13. Then Paul answered. What do you mean by weeping and breaking my heart? Meaning he, he, he knows, he, he feels the emotion. He is broken sure. because they're broken. For I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Verse 14, so when we would, so when we would not be persuaded, we ceased saying, the will of the Lord be done. Paul, what is happening here, man? What are your thoughts on this? Well, Paul is, well, he's overwhelmed. He's overwhelmed with emotion because he sees how much people love him and care for him and want him to stay around very much like Jesus' disciples. Yeah. You know, I mean, the fact that, you know, Peter chopped off ears, the the fact that, you know, that, uh, you know, that Peter said, you know, said, Lord, this ought not to be. Uh, And I know that, you know, in the face of these things, that the natural responses of most people is that we don't want to go through something terrible. We don't want you to go through something terrible. Uh, And, and, and Paul is just simply overwhelmed with it. And, and, and once again, the the scripture does not say so, so I would not uh, put words in Paul's mouth, but he is, um, he, he is more than likely saying, but I must go. Mm -hmm. Uh, This is part of what God wants me to do. This is part of, you know, my journey, right. uh, you know, of, of glorifying the Lord, uh, that, you know, being prepared, you're saying, listen, I'm prepared to die for him in Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. If that's what it has to be, man. And, and <laughs> it's just, I, I stand in awe of this moment right here. Like, I don't know if I personally had a moment where I've had to go, I'm ready to die. Like, I, like it's been put, like I'm, I've said that before. I'm sure you've said that before, but to be put into a dangerous situation, go, yeah, I'm ready for this. And yet here Paul is. I mean, he's facing, he's he's looked at death down the barrel. He's been the harbinger of death himself. And now he's oh, yeah. facing it. Yes, he is. Yeah, that's a good point. He is um he is on the other end of the he's on the other end of the harassment there. Right. Uh, uh, of knowing that he is hunted. He wants the hunter now the hunted. <laughs> right. And, um, and so, yeah, so he's on, he's on another, he's, he's on the other end of that. Like he knows the whores are, are before him, but he's going, I have something bigger in mind. Like I, 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 he goes, I know the Lord has something in plan for this situation. 
and he knows how bad this will get, but he's willing to go yeah. forward with it. And I, I literally, yeah. I stand it all when I read these passages like this. Yeah, it's a, uh, it's a different time. I mean, it's hard to put it in our own context because we live in a, a country that allows us freedom that mm -hmm. we're not uh, persecuted. We're not hunted. We're right. not, nobody's, nobody is, you know, trying to take us down to the point of, you know, to the point of death. Um, but I also sense too that, you know, that each of us who are believers also have a sense of journey yeah. that we're going to, we're going to come, we have to do hard things. Yeah. We have to do things that put us in, um, uh, put us in, in not great situations sometimes because we have to say something we believe or we have to act in a way that is contrary to worldly principles. Uh, and so we have to do things like that, knowing that's part of the journey, knowing that the, the that our Jerusalem mm. uh, is, is an act or a word or uh, something we live out that is going to be contrary uh, to, uh, to things around us. Absolutely. All right, let's keep, let's keep marching through this. All right, verse 15. Right. And after those days, we packed and went up to Jerusalem. Also, some of the disciples from Caesarea went with us and brought us uh, with them a certain Manasseh of Cyprus, an early disciple, meaning this was a person who's been around for a while, um, with whom we were to uh, lodge. I'm not going to lie. I had to look it up. I was uncertain about the vocabulary of an early disciple. I really had to think about, like, what did that mean? Uh, which I want to encourage those of you, like, when you read cross stuff, like, look into it. Read it. Ask questions. Like, what does that mean, early disciple? At first, when I first read it, I thought maybe it was a new convert. But the more I looked into it, I realized, no, this is a guy who has been a disciple since the early days of the church, of the modern church at the time. Yeah. Verse 17. And when we had come to Jerusalem, the brethren received us gladly. On the following day, Paul went in with us, with us to James, and all the elders were present. When we greeted them, we told them the details of those things that which God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. Verse 20. And when they heard it, they glorified the Lord, and they said to him, You see, brother, how many myriads of people were uh, of, of myriads of Jews there are who are who have believed and they are they are all zealous for the law verse 21 but they have been informed about you that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses saying that they ought not to circumcise their children nor to walk according to the customs all right what has happened here? Well, the mob is what has happened <laughs> the here. <mob. laughs> the mob, right? This is this is right. this is what happens. This is like early social media. This is just right. rampant <laughs> gossip and and uh, cancel culture is what this is. This yeah. is they're they're canceling Paul in the harshest way. They are yeah. and once again, this is no different than what Jesus went through. There's rumors. There's all kinds of things that Jesus did this and Jesus did, and he said this and he's and there's all this kind of stuff that's going on with Paul's life here, but it's his, there's no way he did any of those things. But but it's right. but when you're fighting the mob, right? It's very hard <laughs> even I mean, look, right. today you can make a statement on Twitter and say something, right, to get it out to yeah. the masses. Whereas 
Paul has only these few moments to address, you know, which he does in chapter 22. But at this point, he is, he is at this point where he is, um, you know, he has to, he just has to deal with it. He wasn't, he wasn't telling the Jews to quit being Jews. You know, he wasn't, uh, uh, you know, he had in fact, you know, circumcised Timothy, you know, who wasn't a hundred percent Jewish himself with a Greek father. Right. You know, uh, so, you know, whatever the rumors, whatever the rumors were and whatever the, the, um, the talk, you know, they're zealous for the law. They believe, but which I think just really tells us that, you know what, you can become a Christian, Mm -hmm. you become a believer and still be so adamant about certain things that, that, um, that if anybody were to raise an eyebrow to, or, or, you know, whatever that, that, that can still happen. That's still, um, you know, a problem that the church faces sometimes that somebody can become, uh, extremely, uh, can become a believer, but still remains really, um, zealous towards certain customs and traditions. Right. I do find this, um, somewhat encouraging because they're taking them out of context. I mean, I, I know that I have been taken out of context before with, uh, maybe some messages I've preached and some other aspects and, um, you know, doing what I do now for my church, I'm, I'm like, I'm hyper aware what goes out. <laughs> mm-hmm. sure. Sometimes oh, be like, yeah. Hey, I want to put this out there. I'm like, well, can we tweak that? Uh, because that has some really bad ways of being twisted around on us. But this is not a new problem. I feel like some people, some Christians, they're, they're scared to talk. They're scared to, scare the, uh, to share the faith because they're afraid of being taken out of context. But this isn't a new problem. This is something that's been around since day one of the church. How do you personally, yep. Paul, handle that, like the, the, the fear of being taken out of context but still doing what you need to do? I think a lot of it has to do with how you how you live your life. If there's a difference mm. between your online life and your real life, the life, you know, mm. your, your normal life, then that's a conflict, right? The relationships yeah. you have with people uh, that that we create our own conflict when we're double minded, mm. when we are uh, when we try to live two different lives. This is one mm. thing. If you're so deep in relationship with people, they know that when you make a mistake, they know that it wasn't. Uh, the, uh, there, there's no um, uh, hatred. There's no uh, anything behind it, right? There's yeah. no nefarious uh, uh, motives that are going on. And the depth of relationship you have with people, I think, can curtail some of that. Now, perfect strangers, strangers can, you know, say whatever they want to say. They don't yeah. know you. And so they can, uh, you know, they can make their own, you know, assertments, you know, uh, about what you said, right? but it's hard to say, you know, you can say something about what I said. It's very hard, different for you to say something about how I live. Right. And so I think consistency is important yeah. that you're consistent online and off. And I think you just reduce all you can do. I don't, you can't stop it, but you can reduce it mm-hmm. by simply being authentic yes. in both your online and o- offline life. Absolutely. Now, some of the, there's kind of sometimes if things have been skewed. There are things you can kind of do to go. All right, look, look. Let me show you what I mean and how this really is. And we're going to see that take place actually here with Paul's example, starting in verse 21. Uh, what then the assembly must uh, certainly meet, for they will hear that you have come. Therefore, do what we tell you. We have four men who have taken a vow. 
um, take them to be purified with them and pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads and that they may know that these things are that those things of which they were informed concerning you are nothing but that you yourself also walk orderly and keep the law but concerning the Gentiles who believe uh, we have written and decided that they should observe no such thing except that they should uh, keep themselves from uh, things offered to idols, from blood, from things strangled, and from sexual immorality. So what's taking place here is the, the, the Jerusalem Council, if you will, led by James. I said, look, man, there's a lot of stuff happening here right now. We got these four guys who have taken a vow, the Nazarite vow, which is a, a particular uh, vow we find in the Old Testament. It involves shaving your head and certain other things. And towards the end of a certain time period, there's a purification ceremony you have to go through. You got to go to the temple and be purified. And they're saying, all you we want you to do is show your faith in front of people. You, you say that you're a Jew. You say that you are, in some passages, a Jew of Jews. Just be authentic. Just like you would if anybody's. And now the whole paying for the other guys, this is a, just simply a, um, um, just a, a uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It's a nice thing to do, basically. It's a way of going, hey, sure. let me show you some piety. Let me show you some, some, some graces here. As he walks these guys through these things, doing life with other Jews. Now, Paul himself has said, don't necessarily have to do it. But why is he doing it, Paul? Well, he's doing it because he he's look he has to he said just like anything like like you know there's uh, he has to uh, be a part he has to be in the world and not of the world right he has to yeah. show that look I still have credibility I myself right. as he says I'm a Pharisee mm-hmm. of Pharisees right? right I I am I am one of the law people of the law I you right. know I I I am zealous above everybody. He says, right. "Look, let me show you that I still know how to. That I still am a part of who you are. I still keep traditions, right? right? In fact, this is not the first time he shaved his head. In Acts chapter eighteen, eighteen, mm. uh, he cut his hair then. Mm. So this is not a this is not a new thing that Paul's like. Oh, you got to cut your hair, and he's not dressing it up. He's right. not becoming somebody else. Right? He's simply following through with things that he has practiced his whole life probably right. and saying, okay, listen, I'm still part of you guys mm-hmm. and I'm still willing to go along with certain traditions. And I think that's that's a lesson that we have to take in our own lives when we come to church. People want to throw the baby out with the bathwater and throw out every tradition there is. Mm. And and you're, you're this hot new uh, you know, youth pastor or pastor. He said, well, we're going to get rid of everything, <laughs> right? You know, early mm-hmm. on, there's like people getting rid of the cross. Well, we got to get rid of the cross because the cross is offensive to people, right? We got to get rid of this. We got to get rid of that. Uh, and 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 what Paul's saying is, look, we don't get rid of everything. There's, right. there, Paul's not telling them to quit being Jews. He's not quote, telling them. Quit. He's saying, look, circumcision is not going to save you. Right. These things are not going to save you. Only Christ is going to do this. But let me show you, in good faith, I'm one of you guys. Right. So I think that's what he's trying to do here. He's, he's trying to, you know, if nothing else, limit the limit the liabilities that w- his friends might incur. Yeah. That if he does not participate. Absolutely. Now, one point at this also because there's some there's a, there's a group of individuals who believe that in order to truly be a Christian, th- this is the thing that's day. In order for us to be a Christian, we have to uh, participate in everything Jewish. We almost have to be circumcised. We have to wear the tallit. We have to do all these things. 
And now understand, I, I, I have a, a lot of love for Jewish culture and Jewish history. I, I, I affirm that Christianity is nothing more than the fulfillment of the Jewish faith. Jesus is the Mashiach. He is the promised Messiah of the Jewish people. We have been grafted in to that whole right. aspect. But there are some people, and we've talked about this also before when Paul was talking about, um, or when uh, Luke was talking about when um, Paul and Peter had to go to the Jerusalem Council and basically go, hey, yes, they're Gentiles, and but we're not going to tell them to get circumcised. And they came out with this proclamation. This right here, verse 25, is simply further is reaffirming what they said earlier in, I think, chapter 15 or 16. But there's some people that even in chapter 15 or 16, they take some a couple of vocab ver, verbs out of uh, context. And they try to say that, uh, well, they're still going to be in the synagogues. They're still going to be learning about the stuff. So they're going to be becoming Jews naturally. Once again, they're saying that this stuff is not for them. If you're a Gentile, you don't have to go through all the laws that were not given by yep. God, but were given by man, all the traditions. He's saying, this is just, just here's here, which honestly, when you look at this, it's just a pared down aspect of the gospel. Because this is all you need. Relax, be slow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and and I like the fact too because you know there's people who come into our churches who are not going to get everything. Right. They're not going to. Jesus said very very wisely told his disciples, "Beware the yeast of the Pharisees. Beware of those things mm. that get in there that where they're trying to put you know burdens." As he told the Pharisees, "You're putting burdens on people's backs that you yourself right. don't even carry. You're, you're putting things right. there." And and we have to be aware of those things, that there's nothing we have to add to our faith mm. in regards to practices or traditions or those things in order for salvation to be experienced. Right, exactly. And I think it's important for us to, we have to be active in thinking about that. Like, what is a tradition that my culture has, that my, my tradition has? And what is actually scripture? What does God actually say about the situation? We have traditions across the board. There are some places their tradition is it's got to be three hymns and the pastor's got to be wearing a three-piece suit. I mean, it's the three-and-three system. Um, and then you got some places that are very different. And we have to be able to they navigate are. that. We have to be able to go, that's tradition. That's not. I, there's a story I heard. And we'll, go, we'll move on real quickly after this. Um, there was a story I heard about church up in uh, Springfield, James River Assembly of God, I believe. And they're making the transition from being a very traditional church of stained glass windows and everything to a more modern style church. And the pastor who's telling the story about how when they start making the transition, and he made the transition out of having to wear a suit every Sunday. Um, and, he, and the staff was also making the change. This young lady showed up, or an older lady showed up late one day, and um, she comes in, like, hey, welcome. Where are you at? She lives across the street from the church, lived there all of her life. And they're like, oh, what made you decide to come? She's like, well, for years I wanted to come, but I thought I wouldn't be allowed to because I didn't have clothes nice enough to come. But when I noticed that you guys weren't doing that, I felt like maybe I could come. They allowed the tradition. They weren't forcing it. They weren't telling people, but there was a mindset. The tradition said we had to dress up in order to be in the presence of God. And that, right. that was a that was a man-made tradition that kept somebody from experiencing the gospel for how many years? Yeah. And we yeah, have to be mindful of that. Yep. Oh, man. Verse 26. It's about to get real. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, then Paul took them in, uh, and the next day, having been purified with them, 
enter the temple to announce the expiration of the days of purification at which time an offering should be made for each one of them. Now, when the seven days were almost ended, the Jews from Asia, now I want to point this out. This is the Jews from Asia. These aren't Jewish believers. These aren't people who believe in Jesus. These are Jews from probably Ephesus. Um, seeing in the temple stirred up the, uh, the whole crowd and laid hands on him, crying out, Men of Israel, help! This is the man who teaches all men everywhere against the people, the law, and the place. And, for, and furthermore, he also brought Greeks into the temple, and he defiled the holy place. For he had previously seen, for they had previously seen Triumphus, the Ephesian, with him in the city, whom they supposed uh, that Paul had brought into the temple. And all the city was disturbed, and the people ran together, seizing Paul and dragging him out the temple, and immediately the doors were shut. Now, this is a intense moment. There, oh, yeah. Here is Paul. He's in this, this, you know, this holy moment, you know, been through the ritual cleansing, and he's with these guys. They're celebrating what God's doing. And all of a sudden, some people lose their mind, the mob, if you will, like you said earlier. And they're yep. accusing him of some crazy stuff. Now, these guys don't know Paul. They've heard of his teachings. They've heard yep. of his teachings in Ephesus, which he was ran out of earlier. And then they're trumping up these charges. They're just assuming he brought a Gentile into the temple. Which in of itself is interesting because um, when you look at the structure of the temple, there was a court for Gentiles, and then there was, was. a court for women, and then there was the yep. inner court. The Gentiles were allowed at the outer court. <laughs> yeah. But these but guys... They, but, but, but they have no proof of any right. that Paul had done anything. Yeah. You know, they, they, had, were... they, had, they, had, they just had hearsay. Yeah. They were doing what uh, is commonly called uh, throwing out red meat. They were getting people riled up. They're like, oh, yeah. And they were just just to go after Paul. Yeah. Yeah, there was no dialogue. There was no, there was no questions. There was no, there was no uh, parlay. There, yeah. there was no, uh, you know, <laughs> there was no conversation about, hey, let's talk about this. It's simply, it's simply Paul was the enemy. Paul right. was the enemy. Of, in their minds, Paul was the enemy to their way of doing church. Yeah. Paul was the enemy of tradition. Paul was mm. the enemy of customs. Paul was the enemy uh, of all those things. And the only way to deal with that is to get rid of your enemies. Right. Right. There was just get rid of your enemies. And clearly they had not heard the sermon from Jesus about <laughs> loving your enemies, doing good to those who persecute you. Right. Uh, you know, which makes what Paul says uh, at the end of this, at the end of this chapter, so uh, prolific in that yeah, way absolutely. because Paul is doing something completely opposite of what <laughs> is being done to him. Right. He is. So what happens to Paul here? Verse 31. Now, as they were seeking to kill him, not throw him out, not beat him up, kill him. And that, to be honest, that the, the part of that whole kill him is because of the Trump of the, uh, the trumped up charge of having brought a, a, a Gentile into the inner court. There actually is a statement saying that, you know, if you bring that, that happens, you got to be put to death. So looking to kill him, uh, news came to the commander of the garrison that all Jerusalem was in an uproar. He immediately took soldiers and uh, centurions and ran down to them. And when he saw the commander and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. Then the commander came near and took him and uh, commanded them 
commanded him to be bound with two chains, suggesting possibly um, hands and feet, as as uh, the prophet said in the previous um, uh, portion of the chapter, and asked who he was and what he had done. Now, what's interesting is, as we're about to see, he's not asking Paul. He's asking the crowd who he was and what he had done. Verse 34. And some among the multitudes cried one thing and some another. So when he came, uh, could not ascertain the truth, because of the of the tumult, he commanded them him to be taken into the barracks. When he reached the stairs, he had to be uh, carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the mob. For the multitude of the people followed after crying out, away with him. So this is a absolute crazy scene. This is, if this was a movie of the book of Acts, this would be the third act. And this is where things are about to go wild for him. Right. This is not Paul's first time in the middle of a riot though. <laughs> right. Riots He's been to there. follow him. Yeah. <laughs> Paul's almost like, oh no, not again. But I mean, now oh, being carried away. Help. <laughs> so it is interesting the whole him being carried away because um, the question becomes like, is he being carried away because he can't stand because he's been beaten up so much? Um, or is it just a matter of they needed to get him out quickly and that was the fastest way to get him out of that situation? Uh, it's probably a little bit of each, I would think, because <laughs> Harrison's coming. It's, you know, like, listen, we got to pick this guy up and, and carry him. Otherwise, we're, you know, we're going to have to drag him maybe. And right. we're never going to get him out of here. We're going to drag him. Wild. All right, verse 37. Then as Paul was about to lead, was about to be led into the barracks, he said to the commander, may I speak to you? And he replied, can you speak Greek? Like, <laughs> this is funny to me because these guys just assume Paul didn't speak their language. They just assumed that right. he was something else. And we find out what they oh, assumed. Yeah. Verse 38. Are you not the Egyptian who some time ago stirred up a rebellion and led the 4,000 assassins out into the wilderness? Let's park right here. Do you know what they're talking about here, Paul? I do. They're talking about in Josephus, in the, in the historian Josephus talks about that this, this, was, a, uh, this was a thing. There, there was somebody who had, uh, probably in this term, probably not too long ago, which they had heard about. Mm -hmm. they, that's, I think, the the uh, what they thought was happening right. was this another kind of uprising that was happening. That it was these assassins. That it was this guy trying to you know stir up people and those things. And and you know that and it, it was kind of still fresh on their minds, maybe right. that this was an incident that yeah. could have. Um, could have come up again. Yeah. Now, what's interesting is that uh, I did a little bit more research into it also, and this wasn't just a, uh, we're taking over. This was a messianic uprising. Like, this guy was claiming to be the promised Messiah. And so that's part of, like, he stirred up not just the city garrison, but the Jews themselves. So there's a lot of hot-button stuff taking place here. And so these guys are just, uh, like you said, they're just assuming, surely you're the guy. <laughs> All right, verse 39. Right. We have not seen we've we've not seen this much trouble since. Right. Well, it's got to be that. Yeah, exactly. Verse 39. But Paul said, "I am a Jew from Tarsus of Sicilia, a citizen of no mean city, and I implore you permit me to speak to the people." So here Paul he's like, "Look, I am not an Egyptian. I am I am a Jew from Tarsus." He's pointing out the fact that he's just a simple guy. He comes from a, 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 a named city. He's not what they think he is. And then he's asking to be allowed to speak. Verse 40. So when he had given his, or when he had, 
uh, given him permission, Paul stood on the stairs and motioned with his hands to the people. And when he the great silence, when there was a great silence, he spoke to them in the Hebrew language, saying. And that's where our chapter ends. <laughs> it does it does? But here's Paul. Here's Paul doing something that these people would not do, and that was right. to make his case and to have a conversation. Mm. Uh, you know, to to really lay out for them who he is and what is being said about him. Right. And uh, and so yeah. So so even even though he had gotten beaten almost to death, mm-hmm. he is still wanting to share a message with them. Right. Exactly. Which is, and, and you guys are going to find out what that message is next week uh, with Pastor Scott and uh, Pastor Jeff Hill. He's going to be returning with us again next week. But I, I do want to point this out. And this to me, this is what's interesting is that Paul knew this was coming down the road. Like he was prepared. He didn't know what it was going to look like. He didn't, I'm not saying that he knew that he was going to come out of the, out of the, out of the temple and that was going to take place, but he knew that something dangerous was going to take place. Yet he did it anyways. And to me, that, that for me, that's my big takeaway for this is being in the spirit, being with the Lord, walking with him, he'll prepare you for things. But it's having the mindset of no matter what, I'm going to serve the Lord. No matter what takes place, no matter what comes at me, I'm going to walk with God and I'm going to live this out. It may get ugly, but I know there's a greater purpose for it. That's kind of my big takeaway. Paul, what about you, man? What's your, what's your big takeaway? Uh, my big takeaway is the fact that 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 the parallels between Paul and Jesus are very similar in in the accusations and in how Paul mm-hmm. responds. That that Paul truly had the heart of Christ was to even mm, even after what what was done to him, he was still willing right. to offer that olive branch to those to those that were his enemies. Mm. Yeah, that's so good. At the whole aspect of, of, of having the heart of Christ. Uh, recently, uh, we're, we're at the church, we're talking about the fruit of the Spirit right now. And we talked about recently how the fruit of the Spirit really is simply us reflecting the attributes of God. And the more that we are filled with the Holy Spirit, more that we are walking with God, the more we can accurately reflect His heart and His passion, this fruit of, of love, joy, peace, and goodness. These aren't just checklist items. These are the very attributes of God. And Paul is walking in that every step of the way. So, guys, that's our, 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 our lesson for the day. And we're so glad to have you guys here with us. Thank you so much for watching and listening. Paul, how can people connect with you? Uh, they can go to my website at thedisciplesproject.net and they can find all kinds of things there from newsletters to opportunities for coaching uh, to articles and all that good stuff. Awesome. There'll be links in our description down below for you guys to be able to check all that out. I want to encourage you guys, let us know how this has impacted you, how you have been encouraged by it, how maybe it's challenged you. You can email us, mediahub at thvstreetport.com. And let us know. We want to celebrate with you. We want to pray with you. If we can pray with you about anything, let us know because we care about you. We're not, again, we're not just throwing this out there for the heck of it. We do this because we love you, because we care about you. We believe that we that these things right here can help you take your next step and make a move with Christ today. So next time, guys, have a great week.